Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the, on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As I, uh, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love uh, those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do, do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that, is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The word of the Lord. And now I didn't understand it really well, so I'm going to read it in Spanish. <laughs> Pero ustedes que me escuchan les digo, amen a sus enemigos, hagan bien a quienes los odian, bendigan a quienes los maldicen, oren por quienes los maltratan. Si alguien te pega en una mejilla, vuélvele también la otra. Si alguien te quita la capa, no le impides que se lleve también la camisa. Dale a todo el que te pida, y si alguien se lleva lo que es tuyo, no se lo reclames. Traten a los demás tal y como quieren que ellos los traten a ustedes. ¿Qué mérito tienen ustedes al amar a quienes los aman? Aún los pecadores lo hacen así. ¿Y qué mérito tienen ustedes al hacer bien a quien les hace bien? Aún los pecadores actúan así. ¿Y qué mérito tienen ustedes al dar prestado a quienes pueden corresponderles? Aún los pecadores se prestan entre sí, esperando recibir el mismo trato. Ustedes, por el contrario, amen a sus enemigos, háganles bien y denles prestados sin esperar nada a cambio. Así tendrán una gran recompensa y serán hijos del Altísimo, porque Él es bondadoso con los ingratos y malvados. Sean compasivos, así como su Padre es compasivo. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Well, good morning to you. I'm going to preach in Spanish, and Johnny is going to do a simultaneous translation. Is that okay? <laughs> it's great to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Matthew, and I turn up here every so often. And it's lovely to be with you in your series on Luke. Luke is my favorite gospel by quite a stretch. As somebody who came into the church from outside the church, I instinctively knew that Luke understood the outsider, that Luke's arrangement of the materials, the gospel, was very much geared towards people who were outside Israel. So I love this gospel. But before I became a religious insider, I used to work as a video producer. That's what I did with my life. I worked in London and I worked in video production. We were a fairly small production company, and as a small production company, you take on pretty much any kind of work that comes your way. 
And one job that came my way was to help get a Christian digital TV channel off the ground in London. There really weren't any Christian TV stations in England at all. And this came our way as a bit of a surprise. There'd been another production company who'd been doing this. Something went wrong. They came to us and said, would you help us get this off air? This is in the days of satellites. Do you remember satellite TV? Seems an age ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. So in the age of satellite TV, this was a satellite TV startup, and they came and asked us to get it going. And I really should have perhaps listened to that little voice of warning. There had been another production company. Something had gone wrong. Perhaps this wasn't a great idea to take this over. I don't know. There was one man in particular who was financing this whole thing. And I asked him at one point. We had about six weeks to get a 24-hour TV station off the ground. I said, well, what programming have you got for this 24-hour TV station? And he took me to a little room, opened the door, and lying on the floor was a little pile of beta tapes, about 12 of them, I think. And I said, is that it? He said, yes, that's it. So six weeks to go to get a TV station off, 24-hour digital TV station off the ground, and we worked extremely hard to get it going. And we did it. We got it off the ground. We created all the idents. We got the programming sorted out. We worked. Probably that was the hardest I have ever worked in my life. But there were lots of little warning signals that something was not altogether right. And then came the day when, as I was walking towards this rather nice studio that we had in Soho, in the heart of London, when suddenly the man who'd financed this turned to me, looked at me, and accused me of having an affair with his wife. Out of the blue, total shock. Could not understand where that came from. He didn't just accuse me directly, he told other people. And I remember shaking with rage, literally shaking with rage and anger at this man, for whom I had worked extremely hard to get his project off the ground. And it was really the first moment in my life where I suddenly felt like I had an enemy. There was somebody who, for whatever complex reasons, which I don't understand and still to this day don't understand, he decided that he wanted to, in some way, destroy me. But Jesus said, love your enemies. Really? Really? Love a man who accuses you out of the blue of having an affair with his wife? It's one of those accusations that is really, really difficult because the more you deny it, the more people say, well, no smoke without fire. And I know that even in telling this story, some of you will be thinking, well, I wonder what went on there. <laughs> it's just one of those things, isn't it? Jesus told us to love our enemies. And I want to think with you a little bit about that. We know, everybody knows that Christians are supposed to love their enemies and turn the other cheek. But I want to suggest to you this morning that loving your enemy points to something extremely important about the character of the God we serve and love. I'm using this in part, I must admit, as a shameless plug for an event that we're holding in a couple of weeks called Q Commons. 
You're going to hear about that a little bit later. Q Commons, we are going to uh, uh, just really think about our nation, the divisions and the anger in our nation, and what we as a Christian community can do to, as it were, heal the divides in our nation. And I would say underneath that is this thing, that we are called as a community to love our enemies. So would you pray with me, and then we're going to have a look at this passage from Luke, and think about that. What does it mean to love our enemies? So Jesus, this is a difficult passage. This is not an easy thing to approach. So Holy Spirit, I pray that this morning you would be our teacher, that you would speak to our hearts, that it would be your thoughts, your words through your scriptures that speak loudest. Father, would you awaken our souls to your reality this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 6 marks a turning point in the gospel. Up to now, in these previous chapters, um, essentially Luke presents Jesus to us as a popular character. Jesus has been a healer. He is almost universally popular among the people. There have been little grumblings with some of the, the religious, but they have not overspilled into any kind of action. And now in Luke 6, Jesus seems to say, okay, so far so good, but now I am almost going to force a crisis. I'm going to up the ante, and I'm really going to aggravate, if you will, the opposition that is there. And the opposition here is very clearly the religious of his day, religious in the somewhat negative sense, the Pharisees, the religious authorities that were around in Jesus' day. So Jesus kind of gets to the point where he says, I need to force a crisis because I need you to understand that something new and very old has come into the world in me, in Jesus. So now in Luke 6, Jesus begins to directly challenge some of the Pharisees' fundamental understanding of the story of God. And he begins by taking on the Sabbath. Now, if you've ever been to Israel or ever been around a Jewish community, a practicing Jewish community, you will know that the Sabbath is not just a religious observance. It's a matter, a fundamental matter of your identity as a Jewish person. But Jesus is caught out in the fields with his disciples plucking grain and eating on the Sabbath. Tut, 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 Jesus. That's not the right thing to do on a Sabbath. But just Jesus back down? No. He then very deliberately heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And the reaction is utterly predictable. There is fury from the Pharisees because Jesus seems to be breaking the Sabbath. But actually what Jesus is doing is pointing to an older understanding of the Sabbath, the creation understanding of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing to man. Man was not made for a religious observance, but the creation, man was created on the sixth day, and what's the, uh, what's the first day of man's existence on earth? Sabbath. So we were created for Sabbath. Jesus said in Mark's version of this, we were created for a blessed world. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, well, Israel, not only am I going to challenge your understanding of the Sabbath, but I'm actually going to create a new Israel at this point. And Jesus then calls 12 disciples in a deliberately almost provocative act. He calls 12 disciples because how many tribes of Israel were there? 12. So Jesus is now saying, not only am I going to challenge your understanding, I'm now going to create a new Israel. You can bet that went down pretty well. But he hasn't finished yet. In this passage in Luke 6, Jesus then goes on to, uh, um, to kind of challenge, if you will, the Pharisees' understanding of the law itself. If you think about the order, creation, Israel, the giving of the law, blessings and curses that come from either obeying the law or disobeying the law. But Jesus says, now look, you think you know what the good life looks like. You think what it, you understand the law and what it is like to live a blessed or a cursed life, but I'm going to turn that on its head and you get the Beatitudes, essentially an echo of Matthew and the woes. Jesus said, look, you're blessed when you're poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You're blessed when you're hungry, for you should be satisfied. But woe, woe is not a nice word, it's a curse. You're cursed when you are rich. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. So in this passage in Luke 6, as Johnny said, you get Jesus, really the confrontational Jesus. He's confronting the religious mindset of the day. You carry the story of creation, Jesus said, but you've got it wrong. You're missing the point. This creation, this world was supposed to be enjoyed. It's a blessing. You claim to be Israel, but you're not behaving like Israel, so I'm recreating Israel. You were given the law. You know the letter of the law, but you do not know the spirit of the law or the nature of the one who stands behind the law, God himself. And isn't that the risk for us as a church? And I know that you will have seen this and wondered about this sometimes, that at points there are moments when a part of the church will have got some part of the truth, whatever it is, often moral, and they are not wrong about it, but the way in which they, as it were, argue that or display that truth to the world tells you something very different about the God behind it, that truth. And you know what I'm talking about, the sort of truth that leads to placard waving and yelling at people. It may not be that that truth is wrong, but what there you are actually demonstrating is that the God behind that truth is an angry God. So then Jesus brings this confrontation to a climax. And Jesus said, look, you, we, now, today, in America, then, we have got to get our heads around what the God of Scripture is really like. And God of Scripture is a God of radical generosity. Radical generosity. 
that cuts across the kinds of divides that we humanly understand, the divides that say you are the enemy. And this is what Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. That's just what the world does. You love those who love you. You're good to those who are good to you. There is nothing in that that speaks of the God of Scripture. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Nothing. Give expecting nothing to come back. And your reward will be great. And then this is really why I think this chapter heads towards. If you behave like this, then you will be sons, sons and daughters of the Most High. Why? For He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Just let that sink in for a moment. Jesus says the God of Scripture is kind, kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And we read from Micah in the Old Testament, this is not actually something completely new. Jesus is always pointing back to a more original, if you will, understanding of God as well as forward. He has told you, O oh man, God has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you, of me and you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, loving your enemies is not just one on a list of ethical instructions for Christians. It gets to the heart of what God is really like. God is radically kind. He's extravagantly generous. So I hope that raises a question in you. Is it really possible to love your enemies? I mean, can we actually do it? If somebody really seeks to destroy you, can you love them? Can you? I tell you what, when I was accused by that man of having an affair with his wife, which wounded my pride, by the way, because it wasn't, she wasn't the kind of woman I would have chosen. <laughs> it's just the way it was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can we do it? Where do you find the resource to love somebody who is out to destroy you? I don't know what it is about the Brits, but have you noticed that the British are very good at producing extremely angry atheists? Have you noticed that? We produce all the first-class, world-class angry atheists of the world. It used to be that atheists were kind of nice people. You know, they just thought Christians were a bit wet, a bit silly, you know, believed fantasies and fairy tales, but, you know, harmless. But the new kind of atheist is angry and wants to destroy Christianity. And one such man is or was Christopher Hitchens. And he said of this saying, love your enemies, he said it's deranged. The non-resistance to evil, he said, is the ultimate act of immorality. 
I don't like being told, he said. It's my duty to love my enemies. We have to hate our enemies and try to destroy them before they destroy us. That's the responsibility. Christianity disarms that virtue and leaves you at the mercy of those who are wicked. As one commentator rightly pointed out, Christopher Hitchens made a lot of enemies himself. He was lucky that a lot of them were Christians. Let's be clear, when Jesus said enemies, he didn't mean someone you don't like. That is not your enemy. It's not your coworker who irritates you by slurping their coffee extremely loudly. They are not your enemy, okay? It is not somebody who has a different view on how to cure the national debt. They are not your enemy. We think they are sometimes, but they're not. Jesus' audience understood what an enemy was because the Jews, as you know, were under Roman occupation. And the Roman occupiers wanted essentially to destroy Judaism, to destroy it. An enemy is someone or something that wants to destroy you. And you saw, or you might have noticed as you came in, uh, 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 some images of that church in Nepal that has been burned down. That's an enemy. An enemy is out to destroy you. And Jesus said we would know what it is like to have enemies if we follow him. He said if we would follow him, then brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. That's what Jesus said. So that's what an enemy is. An enemy is not somebody who irritates you. An enemy is somebody who's out to destroy you. But what about love? When Jesus says we need to love those who are out to destroy us, what did he mean? What kind of love was Jesus talking about? Martin Luther King thought deeply about loving his enemies. He knew a thing or two about what an enemy was. He was in a community where bombs were thrown at them, at their children. And Martin Luther King points out that though we in the English language have one word for love, the Greek has three, actually four, but he talks about three. Eros, filio, and agape. Eros is essentially romantic love, so when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's obviously not talking about romantic love. But actually, he's not talking about filio, friendship, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. He's not talking about that kind of love either. And Martin Luther King himself said, thank God Jesus didn't ask me to like my enemies. Martin Luther King did not like the people who threw bombs at his community. No, Martin Luther King says, what Jesus is talking about here is agape love. And if you've been around church, you will have heard this many times, but I want us just to think about it again. Agape love means love even of the unlovely. Love which is not drawn out by the merit in the beloved, but which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to be a loving person. Have you ever heard of a woman called Corrie ten Boom? 
Corrie ten Boom was a woman who lived during the Second World War. She was a watchmaker, actually, but, and a Christian. And when it, uh, in, the, in the middle of the war, she uh, hid Jews in her house. She and her family hid Jews so that they wouldn't be found and sent off to the concentration camps. In the end, she was found out, and she herself and her sister were sent to the concentration camps where her sister died. And so Corrie ten Boom experienced the horror for, I can't remember how many years, but it was years of the concentration camps. After, that, um, uh, after the war ended, Corrie ten Boom became involved in reconciliation work, extraordinarily, particularly in Germany. And one meeting where she was speaking about probably something rather like this, I'm talking to you today, she saw at the back of the room a guard from the concentration camp she had been in. And he says it, it absolutely kind of threw her. Because suddenly here, personalized, was an enemy. And at the end of her talk, this man walked straight up to her, and, and she thinks he didn't recognize who she was. Why should, why should he? And he stuck his hand out, and he said, I want you to forgive me. And she said there was nothing in her that could do that. Nothing. She could not find any filio in her, any affection, if you will, any sentiment to love this man and forgive him. But what she did was very simple. She stuck her hand out and took his hand. Not because she wanted to, but because she knew what the God of Scripture is like. And she says that as she took his hand, she felt physically the love of God flow through her to this man. You see, when Jesus talks about loving our enemies, he's not talking about drumming up sentiment or feeling. He's talking about action and choice. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. It's a doing thing. Bless those who curse you. That's a speaking thing. And pray for those who abuse you. That's an action. You can do that whether you feel anything towards the person who is out to destroy you or not. It is a choice. Love your enemies. Why? Because that is what God did for you and me. In Romans 5.10, Paul very clearly says this, for if while we, that's you and me and every single person in this room, while we were enemies of God, let's not pretend that we were friends to God before we knew God. We were enemies of God and lived as enemies of God. That's what Paul says, not what Matt says, it's what Paul says. If we were reconciled, well, sorry, if, we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. His radical generosity 
to the unlovely, the unkind, the evil, regardless of merit. The ultimate act of generosity was the cross. The man who accused me of having an affair with his wife, he turned out to be a bit of a scandal. It actually turned out that he had raised the finance, raised it, by selling the house of his wife, unbeknownst to her. She was quite a wealthy woman, and he'd sold her house, and she didn't know he had children, and he had defrauded many people. In the end, he went to prison. Yay! Oh, no, yay! That's what I felt. But there was a moment when, because I'm a Christian, I thought, I'll pray for him. And I did. I prayed for him. And I remember as I prayed, and you can take this, uh, you know, however you want, but a little image popped into my mind, and it was of this man who was an African in a little African village. This is not meant to be patronizing in any sense, but I suddenly thought, gosh, this man came from such a humble place to a great city like London. And the kinds of insecurities and sense of being totally out of your depth that that would carry. It doesn't make what he did right, was right, but it was if that moment, as I prayed for him, God gave me just a little bit of empathy for him. You see, if we will do and choose to love, agape love our enemies, then God will work the transformation. That is the promise. That is what God has done for you and me on the cross. Should I resist evil? Should we be pacifists then? What about justice? Do we do justice on earth? Are we supposed to do anything? Are we supposed to just give it all up to God? There are loads of questions that come out of this passage I haven't had time to look at this morning. But I wanted us to think this morning about what those three little words, love our enemies, points towards about the God that we love and worship. It's at the heart of all peacemaking, it's at the heart, I hope, of what the Christian community's posture to the world should be. Radical generosity. And I think, or I would like to humbly suggest, that perhaps in a, in a, 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 a society like North America, where the church is very present, we may feel like we're on the, the wrong side of things, but actually, I can tell you, having come from England, where the church is totally invisible, you can't see it anywhere. The church is very present in America. It's very present. And at a time of increasing division and hatred, and I'm 54 years old yesterday, happy birthday me, but I don't remember a time when I felt quite like I feel about some of the things that I'm seeing in the world right now, where there are divisions and hatreds that seem to be spiraling out of control. And the question is, for us as a Christian community, how then will we respond? What will we show the world about the God 
of Scripture. Come to Q Commons. Please, invite your friends. I think this is super, super important. Even as we hold out truths that we believe passionately, if we cannot also find a way to help people understand that the God of Scripture is radically generous, then we may be missing the entire point. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we continue to worship now and we come to take communion, that great sign of your radical generosity to us while we were still enemies of God, that you gave Jesus, you poured out his life so that we could be included in a community of love where we are learning how to love across the divisions. Would you feed us now by your Spirit? Would you encourage us by the words we say and by the community that we have here at Christ Church Vienna? And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.